Thank you for joining us in our week series. story ever told. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 today, and I'll be starting in verse 14. Now to get there, let me say this. As parents, as parents, we all have stories about our children. I don't care if you have one child or like us, if you've got five. There's stories that you have about your kids, stories of things that made you laugh. Out of our five kids, they all provided us with stories. But my middle son, Jesse, provided us with a lot of stories. And I will use Jesse at times in illustration because he provided so many stories. Benji even called me the other day, and he's preaching next week. And he goes, I'm going to start with a Jesse story when I'm like, yes, I'm sure you are. (laughs) But when I was doing sports ministry and working with a lot of those guys way back, Foxworthy became a buddy, and Jesse and our family, I mean, we hung out with them and, and a ton of other people. But I had a copy of a You Might Be a Redneck, Jeff Foxworthy book laying on the coffee table. So Jesse's over there. He picks it up. He starts flipping through it. He can't read, but he's always, always gravitated toward comedy and humor in his life. And he's looking at that book, and he goes, did Mr. Jeff write this book? I said, yeah, yeah, Mr. Jeff wrote that book. Matter of fact, Mr. Jeff has written a lot of books. Then Jesse looked at me and he said, is Mr. Jeff famous? Now, I don't know what famous means to a five-year-old, but he posed the question. And I said, he's pretty famous. He's got books and he travels all over and tells jokes and he had his own TV show. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty famous. And then I look at Jesse and I go, I got a question for you. He goes, yes, sir. I said, are you famous? And he pauses and he stares at me and he goes, not yet. (laughs) And to quote Dumb and Dumber, I said, so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) But I'll never forget him looking at me going, not yet. And being famous and being popular is not necessarily a bad thing, but wanting To be famous and popular can lead you down a ton of dangerous roads. And I've seen people sell out, and the cost of wanting to be famous and popular has cost people a lot over the years. When you study the Gospels, Jesus here in Luke chapter 4 is starting to become popular, famous. His popularity is starting to soar. Verses 14 and 15 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. News about him spread all throughout the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogue. Don't miss this phrase. And he was praised by all. I would circle that, highlight that. That's going to come up multiple times here for a variety of reasons. He's been praised by all. Jesus is teaching the word. He's in their synagogues, their churches, if you will, filled with the Holy Spirit. People are talking about him. Man, he's got a unique style and flavor to him. He's he's different than a lot of these other rabbis. People wanted to be around him. People wanted to hear him. He's being applauded. He's being praised. You would say, yeah, he's starting to become popular. But, but, but... Jesus's mission in life was to glorify God, not to be popular with man. That was his mission. I'm here to glorify the Father. And you have to ask the question, 
Am I being faithful to God? Am I bringing glory and honor to God? Does my life reflect the goodness of God? Do others look at me and recognize that I'm God-centered, or do they think that maybe I'm man-centered? Whose approval and attention am I looking for? When you look at verses 14 and 15, it summarizes one year of Jesus' life. One year of ministry is captured in verses 14 and 15. And Luke just kind of broad strokes it, if you will. But what he's saying is, hey, Jesus was teaching the word. He was going into the synagogues. He performed some miracles. He healed some. He he fed the multitude, the masses. Uh, There was a lot of cool things going on that Jesus did, and he was being praised by all, all, every Sabbath. What are you doing? Teaching the word. That's what you're doing, every every Sabbath. What are you doing every Sunday, Tim? Teaching. Just teaching the word, teaching God's word. Why? If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Don't miss it. He was teaching the word. Verse 17 says that while he's in the synagogue, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Here, Jesus, you're teaching the word. Here's Isaiah. Jesus flips over in the book and finds the place where it is written. The place he turned to is what we have now is Isaiah 61. Chapters and verses were not added until about five to 600 years ago. So they hand him the scroll, he flips over, and he makes this statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God's Spirit and anointing is on me, and he's appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus standing in the synagogue, prophetically what was written some 700 years ago by the prophet Isaiah says, I am the one that has been sent by the Father. I am the true prophet. And all my statements I'm making here are going to capture, Michael, the essence of what my ministry is going to be. God has sent me and anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel. The gospel means good news. That's what it means. If you're new to the faith, new to church or whatever, the gospel means it's good news. And what it's declaring is God has sent the Savior to rescue those who are living in sin so that they can be set free. God has sent me to proclaim, herald, preach, declare the good news. That's why I'm here. God has sent me to share the good news and preach the good news to the poor. Poor has nothing to do with your financial wealth. It has nothing to do with your economic status. The word poor there has nothing to do with money or materialistic goods. The word poor means I've come to share the good news with those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt, they're spiritually empty, and they're lost. I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor. Any person who realizes that they're lost, empty, spiritually bankrupt, missing me, I've come for you. I've come to bring you good news. 
I worked in the athletic community, professional athletic community for over 20 years. And let me tell you something. I dealt with guys that had money. I dealt with guys that had a lot of money, guys that had a lot of materialistic goods. But many of those guys came to realize that they were poor. They had notoriety. They had fame. They had recognition. They had popularity. They had all this earthly stuff, but they came to realize, I'm lost. I'm alienated. I'm separated from God, which implies you can have earthly riches and still be living poor. We oftentimes look at people and make assumptions based on their house, based on their car, based on their threads, based on, and go, oh, look at them. They've got everything. How do you know? If they're missing the one key thing, they have nothing. Jesus goes, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring the good news, the gospel to those who are poor, those who recognize their heart issue. Then he says, he's anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captive. He's brought me to set free those who are living in bondage. These people were living in spiritual bondage, all of their pedigree, Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever. He goes, he's sent me to see liberty experienced by those living in captivity that are in bondage. Are you in chains to any sin yourself. It can be sexual sin, alcohol, drugs. It can be ego. It can be pride. It can be a variety of things that we find ourselves chained to. Jesus is the chain breaker. He came to break the chains and to set the captive free, to liberate us. And the good news for you, sitting here today, you go, I don't know Jesus. This is all new to me. The gospel is for the poor, those who realize they're spiritually bankrupt. And you can be set free today by encountering Jesus in a personal way. He goes, man, he has brought me here and sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He sent me here to give sight to the blind. And Jesus would spit on dirt and rub it in guys' eyes. And he did bring about physical healing to those that were suffering from blindness. But the emphasis here is on spiritual blindness. Those who have a blurred view of life, those who have a distorted view of life, a distorted view of God, a distorted view of others. He's like, he, he sent me to bring sight. Even 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul writes, Satan has blinded the minds, even the eyes of the unbeliever. What do I know to be true about Jesus? He can open blinded eyes. He can bring fresh illumination in your life today. You've got to ask the question, do I have a sight issue? Has life become so blurry for me that I can't see? Do I have vision to do life the way God intended for it to be done. Rachel, my daughter, called me the other day. She was having this conversation. And she goes, Dad, me and my friend were just talking about the importance of vision. Vision, that's good. Helen Keller was asked, what would possibly be worse than being born blind? She said, having sight, but having no vision. 
Proverbs says, where there's no vision, the people perish. The word perish there means where there's no vision, purpose, understanding for why you're here. The literal translation, Dallas says, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. They go a million different directions looking for love, joy, peace, joy, worth, acceptance. Where there's vision, people live restrained lives because now they're living for something bigger than themselves and they know what to say no to because their eyes have been opened. And I praise God for opening my eyes. He goes, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to see those in captivity, man, experience liberation. He sent me to open blind eyes. And then he goes, he sent me to set free those who are oppressed. The word oppressed is an interesting word. In the Greek here, it means to be bruised. Man, has life bruised you a little bit? It means to be crushed and lacerated and cut up and shattered. Man, I, 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 that, that might be you. Man, I feel broken and mistreated and exhausted and I'm just so weighed down. I just want to quit. I want to throw the towel in. I, I, I don't feel like I can keep going on. There's people that walk in here every week that feel that way. Man, I'm crushed. I'm lacerated. But Jesus came to heal your deepest wounds. Jesus said, all of you, why don't you come to me if you're tired and exhausted and weary and heavy laden? Come to me and let me give you rest. If you're oppressed and just pressed down with the things of the world, I know what you're looking for. You're, you're looking for freedom. And I can give that to you. And God sent me to bring freedom to the oppressed. He sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This refers to the Jewish year of Jubilee. In the Jewish year of Jubilee, if you go back and study the Old Testament, that's when all debts were forgiven. No matter what you owed, the year of Jubilee freed all debts. It's like, oh, everybody got a brand new start. And some of you are sitting here today going, I need a brand new start. I need a fresh beginning. When I met Christ, he goes, hey, hey, let me tell you what I've done for you. You're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things can become new if you will step into who I am. All those past mistakes and bad decisions that you've been carrying around, I just want you to know this is the favorable year of the Lord, and I've come to announce jubilee in God's name. That's what I've come to bring. I want to set y'all free. Anybody need freedom today? You see, the Jewish people had been praying for thousands of years, anticipating the coming Messiah. And Jesus, when he opens the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he reads there in Isaiah 61, what he is declaring is, this is not only the year of jubilee for you. This is the day the Messiah is standing in your presence. And I've got good news for you. You've been praying and you've been waiting and you've been longing. I got good news for you. God is always on time, baby. The promised one is here. And I think, man, there's people around me, you're praying for something. You're about to give up hope. You're, you're, you're waiting for something. And you don't think he's an on-time God because he hasn't 
come through based on your schedule. Man, we have to fight to press in. We've got to fight to hold on to one another. I've got friends in this room right now. We're, we're locked arms going, hey, we're, we're, we're going to walk through this together. And there's days where their faith is stronger than my faith. And there's days where they help carry me a little bit to encourage me to press in. This is the favorable year of the Lord. God keeps his promises. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel, etc., all the way to the favorable year of the Lord. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. And all were speaking well of him. And they were wondering at the gracious, at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they said, is this not old Joe's boy? Man, we're so amazed at your teaching. You teach with authority, not like the scribes and teachers of the law that these rabbis we have who said a bunch of nothing. The people were amazed. They were astonished. Uh, we understand what he's saying. He, he breaks it down. It's simple. It's pure. It's the word of God. Oh, we just love this right now. We, we love what you've got to say right now. Verse 23, Jesus then said to them, no doubt you're going to quote this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, why don't you do it here in your hometown as well? You're, you're going to ask me to prove to you that I am the true prophet of God, sent by God, anointed by God, and I'm not just Joseph's boy. And you're thinking, we've heard so much about you, show us, prove it. Come on, you can do it. And God had told the people throughout the pages of Scripture in the Old Testament, if two prophets come to town and they both claim that they're prophets of God, the way you will tell a true prophet of God is they'll be able to do signs and wonders and miracles. And when they make predictions about the future, it le it's legit. It, it, it happens. So the people's request was not necessarily bad, but their why got exposed. And Jesus looks at them and says, truly I say to you, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcomed in his own hometown. Hey, it's hard to go back home. People have a history with you. They're too familiar with you. They, they know about you. Why don't you go back to Noonan and Pastor Tim when you first got saved and got out of baseball? Because that verse right there rocked my world. He's like, mm, and people are way too familiar with you. They're going to see you as a raging freaking party animal who drunk like a fish on the weekends and just was a ball player and they're not going to see you for who I'm making you to be so that was a that was a main passage for me just go back home and he's like uh, don't go back home you need a fresh start you 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 need a fresh start 
And he gives the example of two rock star prophets here in this text. He references Elijah and Elisha. And he goes, do you remember these two famous, like stud prophets? Do you remember that they came with the word of God, but they would not perform any signs and wonders and miracles amongst the Jewish, Hebrew, Israelite people? Y'all remember this? Y'all know why they wouldn't do it? Because your stinking hearts were so hardened with sin and with unbelief. They didn't come to you. No matter of fact, Elijah and Elisha went to Naaman, who had leprosy, and a Gentile widow in Sidon, and they ignored the needs of the Israelites, and they went to the Gentiles. Oh, the, gen the, gen the Gentiles is who they went to. You, you remember those people you've labeled as being dogs? That's who, that's who they went to. You remember how you've labeled Gentiles not only as dogs, but you look at a Gentile widow or a Gentile leper, and they're despicable in your eyes? That, that, that's, that's where they went. What is Jesus doing? Don't miss this. He's going at the heart of the people. I'm going to go at your heart. I care about your heart. I want to see your heart aligned to the things of God. I want to see you have an accurate view of God. He's going at the heart. And when he goes at the heart, guess what happens? Bam! His popularity takes a hit. His popularity takes a hit. Doing miracles. Offering free snacks. Healing the sick. Telling cool stories. That will draw a crowd. That'll make you popular. But his firm, truthful teachings started creating some enemies. The shift of this text is amazing. When you teach the word of God without compromising truth, you will upset some people. If we learn anything from this text, it's when you take a firm stand on truth and you refuse to become woke as a joke and compromise with culture and you stand on biblical principles, some people will hate you and attack you and assault you. Jesus, why don't you go at them so hard? Because I care about their hearts. I want, to, I want their hearts. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And there's a pattern established right here in Luke chapter 4 that continues through Luke all the way through the book of Acts. And here's the pattern. The gospel is brought to the synagogue by Jesus. It's brought to God's people, the Jews. Peter would oftentimes, Paul oftentimes, they're in the synagogue. So the gospel is brought to the Jewish people. Here's the second thing you see happening. The Jewish people reject it. Don't want anything to do with it. The third thing you see happening is then the gospel starts to spread to the Gentiles. Paul said, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And that's the pattern that you see. And Jesus is basically telling the people in the synagogue as he's read through Isaiah, he sits down, 
Rabbi sat in that time and continued to elaborate. He's basically telling them that your hate for the Gentile people is brutal. That's your problem. The hate in your heart and the prejudice in your heart, that stuff that you're carrying is brutal. And when you hate your enemies the way you do, and you've even labeled them enemies, and they're not enemies, they're created by God, they're people. When you hate people like that in the way you do, you will not experience God's blessings. That's what he's saying. God wants to bless you. God wants to free you. God wants to liberate you. God, matter of fact, loves your enemies as much as he loves you. There's no favoritism with God. And Jesus is going at the heart saying, if you do not turn from your sin, you will not experience the blessings of God. So you want me to give you a sign? You want me to show up with some tricks and treats and perform a miracle? You want me to do the spectacular? Not going to happen. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. He goes after the heart. How does he come at us? He comes after our hearts. Now, don't miss this. Verse 28. All the people all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. All the people in the synagogue were praising him. All the people in the synagogue were saying, oh man, look at the gracious words that leaked from his mouth. All the people that applauded him are now against him. Just like that. If you live a life as a people pleaser, the people that you think like you today may annihilate you tomorrow. Am I living for the glory of God or am I living for the glory of man? All the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. All the people mobbed him. All the people forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they all tried to push him over the cliff. Push him over the cliff. Kill him. But he passed right through the crowd. And went on his way. Jesus, you had grown up in this town. They, they know your dad, Joseph. They know your mom. They know a lot of your siblings. You, you were starting to become a local hero. These people were so pumped that, man, Messiah is going to come out of Nazareth. And they go from cheering you on to hating you and booing you in a matter of seconds. They want to kill you. I know because I told them the truth. I told them what they needed to hear. And God's truth will expose our hearts. It does it every time. I'm not telling you what you want to hear. But I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. But you've got to have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. 
if you're trying to get your kids to like you by caving in to whatever they want, it's like, Psh. no, I'm not, no, that's not going to happen. And my daughter has shared her story openly, posting it on social media or whatever. I'm just being straight up with you. One of the hardest things for me, she shared it with the world. She told her story. When she calls me after getting her second DUI, Daddy, you got to come get me. I said, I didn't take you to the bar. I didn't take you to the jail. I figured it out. I love you. Figure it out. I got to go rescue her and save her. She don't need Tim Cash to be her savior. She needs to come face to face with the risen Jesus to experience salvation. And I think a lot of parents bail their kids out repeatedly instead of saying, so you're falling and you can't get up. Well, this hand's not strong enough to lift you. If you don't encounter Christ in the power of the resurrected hope of Jesus, it's not going to work. And I think even in friendships at times, we're not to be mean and harsh and condescending. But when we walk with people through troubling times, sometimes it's just, it's not time to say anything. But when we speak, we can't be speaking out of compromise. We can't be speaking out of, Man, I'm going to let you plug into me. You need me. i got to save you. I can't save a person in this room. I can't save a person in my house. And that was a hard reality for me to face. Jesus, what, 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 what did you do? I just told them what they needed to hear. Man, I love them. But they got to get their hearts right. And as a result of me telling them what they needed to hear, you're right, they wanted to kill me. This would never happen at the Cross Loganville, but some of the other churches you've been a part of, it probably has happened. <laughs> but do you ever try and kill anybody after church? Get in the car, man, you start to drive away and go, I can't believe what Kara said to me. Nick saw me standing there. He didn't even talk to me. He just totally ignored me. Can, can you believe what Teresa was wearing on the platform? Why does Tim, the only thing he ever talked about is money? I, I get this crap all the time. I can reference having a give out and thank you for your faithfulness. I got blown up a couple of weeks ago from a, with a note. All y'all talk about is money. Money must have a stronghold on your life, baby girl, because I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> she ain't even got out of church. She's already killing us. We come, we sing, oh, we take notes, oh, we pray, we smile, we shake hands. Oh. Then we go home and destroy people. They tried to kill Jesus. I concluded a long time ago, some of them cats sitting up in there on Sunday morning, bro, they are going to try to kill you when they walk out of here. Let them go ahead. Tell them to shoot low because I'm riding a Shetland pony. 
These people came to the synagogue on the Sabbath, looking all holy. They prayed. They had the appearance of worshiping God. They were like, yes, feed us. Yes, turn that water into wine. Yes, raise a Lazarus up. That's so cool. You're the best until you went at our hearts. You went at our hate. You went at our anger. You went at something inside of me. And that's what keeps a lot of people from following Jesus. They don't want to give up their bondage to porn or alcohol or drugs or they're in chains to materialism or just their bitterness or whatever, right? Like, man, these people were there in church. It ain't like the, the bozos down the street who were just partying on. These people were at church. Got to kill him. And I'm like, why? Because they conclude that any teaching that disagrees with what I want, and any messenger that shares a message that I don't agree with, they must be dismissed, the message, and that messenger must be destroyed. It's like if you don't like a message, and I've seen so many people do that, we're just going to try to find us another church. Go for it. But you're going to take all that junk and crap that you've got going on in your life and you're going to take it down there, and eventually you're going to use it as a fertilizer to start to spread it on other people, and your corruption is going to end up corrupting other people. It's like, what are you doing? I got mad. Get over it. So what do we conclude about Jesus? Don't miss this. Jesus knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He was on a mission to glorify God. When he says there in Luke chapter 4 that the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, right? Proclaim release to the captive. Bam. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. If he would have preached this, they would have liked him better. The father has anointed me to entertain the religious, to despise the Gentiles, to pacify the arrogant, to make you happy, to give you what you want. Verse 30 is one of my favorite verses in this whole story. Raged mob. Sandy, they're going to push him out of the city and push him over the cliff. So Jesus passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Did you try to avoid him? I just walked right on through the crowd. You talking about those that wanted to kill you, you just walked right through the crowd? Yeah. Why don't you do that? Because the crowd didn't scare me. And the crowd didn't define me. And the crowd couldn't control me. And the crowd was not going to detour me. I was, I was on mission from the Father. I just had to keep on going. And if you're on mission from God, no matter what others say and no matter what kind of spears they throw at you and no matter what kind of attacks you get, can I tell you something? 
that don't define me. That don't control me. That's not going to detour me. Get up, brother, and keep going. Get up, sister, and keep going. Are you committed to honor and glorify the Father, period? That, that, that's what we have to look at. Opposition will come to the gospel. If you desire to live sold out for Jesus, you're going to have opposition. It is not a possibility. It is a promise. That's what we find. Is my affection and devotion to Jesus? Am I standing firm on truth? You're going to have opposition. You have it spiritually? Yeah, I have it at times. People attack? They do sometimes. I'm not always right. I've, I've got blind spots like you do. But a lot of the opposition is just totally irrational. For some of you sitting here, even from the spiritual standpoint, saying that Jesus is the only way, you're going to have opposition to that. Saying that you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, you're going to have opposition to that. You're going to constantly face opposition. When Tim stands up here today and was talking about offering this six-week track and trying to help people with health and wellness, when, when you don't go with mainstream when it comes to stewarding your health and you just don't listen to what the CDC and others are saying, you will face opposition. I remember when we started having kids, right? And we decided to have home births. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying what we did. Whew, we got opposition. I can't believe y'all having babies at home. Well, I would invite you to come over, but that's more of a private moment for me and Barb. But <laughs> we have them at home. When we decided not to immunize and to circumcise our boys on the eighth day, we got opposition. Are you going to have opposition? <laughs> if you just let everybody tell you what you should do and how you should do it, even that is going to create conflict because there's some people that you listen to that disagrees with another person you listen to, and that's going to create conflict. You've got to struggle through this. Are you saying that everybody should have home births? It worked for us. Are you saying every? No, I'm just telling you what we did. But we got opposition. You're going to have opposition. Can you handle it? Will you sanctify Christ as Lord in your life and always be ready and prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you, even in the midst of opposition? Well, why don't you do that? If you want to know, I'll tell you why. You know, you know how much opposition, even from a spiritual standpoint, I got even under the faith umbrella, if you will, from people back home in Noonan? When I started preaching and using the New American Standard Bible, and they were King James only, they came at me like I was using a comic strip rendition. That's not the Word of God, and they would fight it. When I first got saved and started attending church, they had keyboards or organ and a piano. 
First time somebody brought a guitar up there, double music right there, brother. <laughs> really? So David played a harp. Is that closer to a guitar or a piano? Do you know you're going to have opposition? And there's a lot of things that I'm not going to shed blood over. I would tell you this, as your friend, brother, and pastor, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage and the confidence to stand on truth, try to be as respectful toward your neighbor as you can. God will give you compassion to share with the lost. Or they don't attack us at times. What do we learn from you, Jesus? You can learn that they really like me. Until they didn't. <laughs> they were hook, line, and seeker until they weren't. And you can learn from me that your mission is to glorify God and honor the Father and care about those who are oppressed and those who are blind, care about taking the gospel to those who are poor in spirit, care about the things that I cared about. And, and, and live out. Let, let me live my life out in you and through you no matter where you're at. Do that. And when the crowds come against you, just, just keep walking.